welcome to the Ranting Soccer Dad podcast for January 17th, 2018. I am your host, Bo Dewar, and I've got three things on the agenda today. Um, one is to talk about the election and what I think as the U.S. soccer election, in case you have been living in a cave or not listening to this podcast or not following anything recently, and naming what I strongly believe is the number one issue. Uh, then that'll tie in a little bit to a preview of what's going on um, in Philadelphia this weekend. Uh, actually, starting today, I'm not there yet. I go very, very early tomorrow morning, Thursday. And then I'm going to talk a bit about the coaching curriculum that has just been unveiled, or part of it has anyway. I got a press release this morning with an invitation to check out uh, some of the materials. We'll get to it. I'm not happy. I'll put it that way. Uh, generally not happy. I'd give what I saw about C-. And then finally, toward the end, we're going to talk a little bit about um, what's going on in the podcast down the road, and also perhaps a bit about podcasting and soccer discourse in general. Uh, if you have been following anything going on with Jason Davis of the United States of Soccer, the series that's him, uh, lunchtime show, 11 to 1, uh, you've seen some interesting things. And I think there's some interesting points that dovetail with what I'm doing and with what I'd like to see and what I think would be beneficial to soccer in general. So, point one was about the U.S. soccer presidential election. And this weekend is going to be huge for the election. I cannot wait to get into a room tomorrow morning and see Kathy Carter being interviewed and see her answering questions and then to turn around and look at people who are who have votes. Many people at this convention are going to be voters. They're going to be people from state associations, or they're going to be people who have influence within their state associations, uh, or people from AYSO or U.S. Club Soccer who have votes. This is going to be fascinating. And seven of the eight candidates will be doing one-on-one sessions during this convention. Sunil Gulati will also, and believe me, I'm not going to miss that. And then there's the forum that wraps it all up on Saturday, which honestly in its current format sounds kind of boring, Uh, but we'll see what happens. And this is where I think I'm going to have more of a sense of who is winning, I guess you'd say, or or really who has a good who has a good chance. Because we've all been speculating and I've seen a few people say, oh, you know, my source tells me that uh Carter has about thirty five percent or you know, my source tells me that Cordero is doing really well or um was recently hearing that Steve Gans is in the top three. And I I don't buy any of that. And I'll tell you why. It's because the state association people want to be left alone. I mean, picture it this way. Imagine it is October 28th or so before a big election. Could be presidential, could be gubernatorial, whatever. And then somewhat you see someone walking up your driveway or walking up to your front door. And you say, oh no, it's some political person. I don't want to deal with this. And so... What are you thinking at that time? Generally, you're thinking, what's the thing I can say that will get this person away most quickly? 
And that's probably going to be, oh, yeah, I can't really talk right now, but you got my support. Good luck. Thanks. Bye. That's what you're going to say. So if I'm a candidate for the U.S. soccer presidential election and I call up a random state association, if they just quickly, if they give some detailed thing about, you know, it really engage with me in depth, okay, maybe I'll feel like I, I'm, re, I'm getting, making a connection. Otherwise, they're probably just blowing me off. And look, nobody, nobody wants to admit that they're going to be on the losing side. I mean, or to tell people that they're not being supported. I mean, the analogy I give, and it's from a sitcom, it's from a, one of the greatest sitcoms ever, news radio, is when they have, they decide to put to a vote who should be the news director, Dave or Lisa. Uh, the funny thing is neither of them want it. But they, everyone in the office tells each candidate, oh, I'm voting for you. And then... The election is held, and everybody votes for Lisa. And then Jimmy James gives the job to Dave because he, the, the whole thing was a trick. And anyway, and one of the people still insists, you know, oh, but Dave, you had so much support. He says nobody voted for me. And Bill McNeil, played by the late great Phil Hartman, says, I still think I voted for you. No, you didn't. Look, that's how this works. So it's going to be interesting because, and I've been emailing a lot of these state associations, and uh, my favorite response still is, "I don't see how it any of your business." I didn't even ask, you know, who they. Well, one of the questions I asked was, "Who are you nominating?" If you're nominating anyone, but then I essentially asked, "Well, you know, what was the process that you that you went through?" I just want to know what they think. What are the issues? What's on your mind? Uh, if you don't want to tell me who you nominated, fine. And the answer I got back was, I don't see how it any of your business, <laughs> which is hilarious. Um, but at least I got a response from them. For most of the state associations, I've got nothing. Because they don't, they didn't sign up for this. No one is, this is the first time this has ever happened. No one has, uh, there's never been this sort of pressure in a presidential race before. Certainly not since, you know, 1998. Uh, when there was a contested election, and that only had two candidates. You know, this is a totally different situation now. And I'm sure they're all being besieged by callers, you know, candidates, people like me, uh, maybe some constituents, and I'm sure they're sick of it. So I hope to find out at this convention what's going on. Now, in the discussions that we've had, mostly on Twitter because that's the that's the medium du jour. I mean, I if I write a blog post, I don't expect any comments on the blog post. I expect to pe people to comment on Twitter. Uh that's just how it goes now and I understand. I don't necessarily like it, but I understand. If I if I put, you know, 10 hours into a blog post, which I do sometimes, I'd rather have that traffic on my site. But whatever. Turn on your ad blocker, let's go to Twitter, and then let's all complain that nobody has a journalism job anymore. But that's another rant. But what we've been talking about on Twitter is it tends to be a handful of issues. And I would like to point out right here, right now, what I think the number one issue is. I don't just think it, I'm right. The number one issue in this election is youth soccer. Now, that's all due respect to everything else. I'm glad everything else is being discussed. 
I'm glad it, it people were talking about Paralympic soccer in ways I've never heard before. I had no idea until Cal Martino put out his plan. There are places that have professional Paralympic soccer. And by the way, I didn't find out till just yesterday that the seven-a-side version, which is for people with cerebral palsy, it's the, the version of the sport that the Athletes Council chairman, uh, Chris Irons, played. They're not in the 2020 Paralympics. I, I don't quite know the story. They're trying to get back in for 2024. That blew my mind. So there, there's a lot here that we're not covering. There are a lot of things that uh, are coming up for the first time. It shed new light on state associations and you know, made us look and realize, there, hey, there are people with nominating power who represent about 1,000 people, which isn't much. I mean, that's smaller than a lot of youth clubs. You, know, you can have a youth club with 1,500 people. There are state adult associations that have 1,000 people, and they have votes. It's kind of astounding, isn't it? And that's not a knock on adult soccer. And I think people are talking about adult soccer in new ways, and that's great. People are talking about beach soccer and futsal. I, I'd like to see people actually talk about futsal. And they're all sort of saying, oh, yes, we need to pay more attention to futsal. And I, I go, in what sense? Because, yes, it's a great training tool. My son has futsal games in the winter. It's great. Terrific. Now, are we saying that that's what we need to be doing? Are we saying we need to have more futsal courts in inner cities, which we do, and that's something that U.S. Soccer Foundation has worked on. That's something that Kyle Martino has put out in his platform. He has that over-under thing where he wants to put uh, soccer goals on basketball courts. You put a goal under the basketball hoop. I've seen those in Europe before. Yeah, why not? Yeah, that, that sounds great. So are we talking about that, or are we talking about having a futsal World Cup team that is roughly the equivalent of the World Cup team, men's and women's. Because, you know, there is a precedent for that. You look at volleyball, where beach volleyball gets more attention during the Olympics than regular volleyball does. Or in, in some places, it may be equivalent. And in the United States, we have some professional beach volleyball. We don't have professional club volleyball. Boy, you want to talk about an not to digress on this, but go to USA Volleyball site sometime and look up. They will give reports on all the athletes they have playing volleyball overseas. It's staggering. There are U.S. volleyball players around the world. The sun never sets. On, uh, set volleyball. Get uh, Anyway, the sun never sets on pro U.S. volleyball players, but they're not playing professionally here. Um which is staggering. Another another podcast for another time. So look, all of these things are good. And yes, we are finally having mainstream discussion by reasonable people of things that used to be on the fringe. One of them is Soccer United Marketing, where, look, if you're talking about Soccer United Marketing um, with some people on Twitter, it's, oh, it, it, I saw this just recently. It's retweeted by people who should damn well know better. Saying that, oh yeah, we, you know, we had the the Eric Winaldo thing in Columbus, which I'm going to get to, and you know that really made me realize, you know, how much uh, MLS is just set up you know, by NFL owners to be like the NFL. Uh, I thought we were past that. 
I thought people could at least use Google enough to look up all the owners in Major League Soccer and count how many of them are involved with NFL teams. It's not more than half. And when MLS was set up, it was set up by Sunil Gulati and Alan Rothenberg, Ivan Gazidis, who went on to work at Arsenal, Mark Abbott, who's a lawyer, you can say, okay, well, those people don't sound like soccer people to me. Well, okay, that that's debatable, but they're not NFL people either. And Rothenberg has had his hand in a lot of things. Rothenberg came into the sport because he did such a good job with Olympic soccer in 1984. Jeez. I, it boggles my mind that some of these things, can, that some of the mythology that just continues to fester uh, on Twitter, on Twitter especially. Twitter seems to be the worst because, oddly enough, for such a democratic, um, such a democratic medium, it's so easy just to have these little echo chambers. And so that is, uh, but we have, there are legitimate questions about Soccer United Marketing, and I feel like they're being asked. I don't feel like they're being answered, which is why I changed my train reservation so I could get there. Well, honestly, I thought it was going to be Hope Solo tomorrow morning. They changed it so it's Kathy Carter. Uh, but I want to be there, front row center, ready to go at 9.30 Thursday morning to hear Kathy Carter speak. Because she has not answered questions about soccer and I marketing to my satisfaction. And I'm, I don't think I'm on the MLS bashing fringe. I think I have a pretty good track record of not being on the MLS bashing fringe. I think most of the accusations against me are that I'm on the MLS shill fringe because I got paid to write some columns for MLSnet 15 years ago at the same time Eric Winalda did. <laughs> again, the fringe is just hilarious. But again, the point here, we're starting to have mainstream discussion about that just as we're starting to have mainstream discussion about promotion and relegation. And that's great. I'm glad we're having that discussion now that there is a real chance that we'll have a U.S. soccer president who, well, first of all, let, let's bear in mind, though, Sunil Gulati, if he is really opposed to promotion relegation, he has done it very in a very underhanded manner. Now, I'm not going to rule that out. That's a possibility. But every time I've asked him about it, He's been receptive to it. It's a question of, you know, he views it as the Federation is in the business of sanctioning leagues. Well, you have to put together a league and come in and off you go. And no one has done that except finally Peter Wilt started to do it in the past year. The NASL said, oh, yeah, we're going to go pro-row. NPSL says, yeah, we'd like to go pro-row with you. NASL says, well, hold on a minute. Now, that was NASL under a previous management. There are several managements of NASL. Maybe if it had been the current management, which has been managing NASL for at least five minutes, they've managed to stir up a lot of the time they've been in charge. I say five minutes. It's been about a year. Rocco Camiso's been with the Cosmos for about a year. Ricardo Silva's been involved a little longer than that. Uh, they've had an interim commissioner for interim commissioner for life, Rishi Sagal. He, he was in the office before then. Um, but look, there were, no one ever went up to U.S. soccer and said, hey, we want to do a promotion relegation league, and uh, here's our plan. Uh, please sanction us. You know, maybe we'll start out Division Two, Division Three, and then work our way up to Division One. No one's ever done that, um, except maybe you could say USL did it 
back in the late 90s when they did have some limited promotion relegation. It didn't go very well. Uh, that's a long hist- There's a long history of that. But look, we will have a president. I shouldn't say we will have a president who's receptive to it, uh, more receptive to it than Galati was, I think. But I think the odds are pretty good um, because uh, certainly Winalda is, you know, hey, let's do it as soon as we possibly can. Cal Martino has, you know, the the great 12-year plan, um, which I, I I think it's perhaps a little bit too cautious or a little, a little there's some odd things to it, but at least he has a plan. Um Mike Winograd has some interesting uh, ways of getting there. Um, I think other candidates as well have been receptive to it. So I think th- there's a good chance that you'll have a candidate. We'll put it this way, that you have candidates who really want to do that, who are making that part of their platform, and they are causing some conversation about it. Eric Winalda has a ton of support. That, And I like what Alexi Laws has been saying. This is the winner of this campaign, no matter who gets elected president, is Eric Winalda. Because he's either going to win the presidency or he's going to have he's going to be a martyr for his cause. And in fairness to Eric, his cause is a lot more than pro rel. He he has good ideas about a lot of things. And he's also surrounds himself with people who have some understanding of things. He, he he has the wisdom to know what he does not know, which is a rare trait in soccer these days and we'll get to that uh in a little while too. But for all those issues, adult soccer, Paralympic soccer, pro rel, the big issue is youth soccer. And, you know, it overlaps with the diversity issue, which is a, obviously a huge issue as well. You know, a lot of the candidates want to have a chief diversity officer uh, because we don't want to lose people like Jonathan Gonzalez ever again. And we want to have, be sure that MLS is reaching... Well, well, not just MLS, any league. I want to be sure we're reaching Hispanic fans because that, well, because we should be reaching everybody, right? And there are people who love soccer who are involved with U.S. soccer. People who love soccer who live in the United States who are not involved with U.S. soccer. And, and that is obviously a bad thing. That starts at the youth level. Hispanic community, Latino community has been underserved. There's no doubt about that. And it does start with barriers to entry in youth soccer. That includes pay-to-play, which is an issue for everyone. Again, that's not—you can have Latino families that can't afford it. You also have African-American families that can't afford it. You have white families that can't afford it. One of the most powerful advocates for players who have not been able to pay their way through the system is Hope Solo. Because she didn't have money. She basically had to get help from her community to, to get through the soccer program. It's a good thing she did because that's how we got the best goalkeeper in women's soccer history to play. And so that's why it's a good thing Hope Solo is in the race to tell that story because it's a compelling story. And then there are people who have good ideas like Mike Winograd. You need to go check out Mike Winograd's uh, interview with ESPN FC because he talks about some of the ways to address these issues so that there is not this financial barrier standing in the way. That's a big part of it. Because, look, there's some question over numbers. U.S. soccer's own numbers are kind of flat. 
the Project Play survey, which I have some questions about. That suggests that players are just dropping out in in huge numbers. It, it's that evidence can be debated a little bit, but let's put it this way: there there's no evidence that youth soccer is growing, that youth soccer is adding players at the rate that the U.S. population is growing. We know that's not happening. Even as soccer becomes a much bigger sport, even as we see the Gallup polls that say, oh, among millennials, soccer is bigger than baseball. And so maybe not within my lifetime, because I'm getting old, but within other people's lifetimes, soccer could easily become the number two sport in this country. And you know, if people really turn their backs on the NFL and college football, it could be number one. It would take a very long time. I, I, I still think soccer is going to have a hard time catching basketball, but that's if it ever gets to basketball's level, I don't think we're going to care who's number one. I think we're going to be all be pretty happy with where soccer stands. If 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 you had a U.S. soccer league that was as big as the NBA, I think we'd all be pretty happy with that. But again, this this starts not the pro level. This starts at the youth level. This starts with people who uh, either have a good experience with the game or they don't. If they have a bad experience, you haven't just lost a potential player, you've lost a potential fan. You've lost a potential youth coach. You've lost a potential referee. The issue is youth. It's starting at the very lowest level, going through the uh, development academy, which has a lot of problems with it, a lot of questions about it. Then all these competing elite leagues that make travel soccer more about the travel and less about the soccer. Let's segue from there to the coaching curriculum that I just looked into. It is, here's what's happened. The pathway has been for years, F to E to D to C to B to A. You know, you go up that list. And I remember joking that I, I really wish they would rename the F license because when you tell a parent, I have an F license, that sounds like you failed, right? <laughs> That's not good. Well, they've renamed the F license and they've changed everything around. Um, and there's promising aspects to it and there are aspects to it just kill me. Um, what they have are these grassroots modules that replace the F and the E module, the F and the E licenses, which means my licenses are now invalid because those are the <laughs> licenses I have. Not that I plan to do anything with coaching other than coach my kids in rec soccer. Uh, I, I really don't need more than that. And I've I've thought for a while that you know, look that you know when, when I took my D license, I thought this is not helpful for me. This is for people who want to go on and be professional coaches, which I don't intend to do. This is not what I need. And so I was really optimistic when I heard, oh, well, they're going to come out with some sort of sequence for recreational slash parent coaches slash whatever. Um, this isn't it. I mean, yes, it, it's good in a way because you have the introductory module, which essentially replaces the F license, and then you have these four, what they're calling grassroots modules. There's 4v4, which is the... U8 on down, basically. 7v7, U9, U10, 9v9, uh, U11 and 12, and then 11v11, which is U13 on up. And it used to be 
that if you wanted to learn how to coach 11 v 11, you had to go take the F and then the E and then the D, which is where you would start to deal with 11 v 11. In fact, really, you should you should go onto the C to coach 11 v 11. Uh, now, if you get drafted in to coach your son or daughter's middle school team and they're playing 11 v 11, you can take this intro module and then take the 11 v 11 module. As I understand it, I think so. That, that hasn't been fully explained. But then you have the basics to coach recreational soccer. And is it as thorough a grounding as you get with a D license? No, but that's, it also is something that you don't have to go, you know, travel and do all these things that don't make any sense to you that don't apply to your life, that don't apply to your career. So the idea is good. Here's the problem. The 20-minute intro module that replaces the F license, which they just put online about four or five years ago. Maybe a little more than that. The 20-minute intro module is terrible. It's it's all very slick. You know, it, instead of having, you know, a coach talk to the camera, it's all these nice videos. And, you know, the nice videos are nice. You see a, they're diverse, which is good. You see a bunch of kids from different backgrounds or, you know, different ethnicities playing youth soccer. You see women's national team players, see men's national team players, see people playing outdoor futsal on a basketball court. It's all narrated by an unseen narrator who sounds like he's guiding you through Tomorrowland at Disney World. You know, it's your task as a, as a grassroots coach is to ride the Tomorrowland Express through Space Mountain. I mean, it, I wouldn't have been surprised if they'd said that. So there, there's also one stunning change of approach in here, and that is that when they give you a little bit of a background on 4v4, they're showing passing and creating space and defending basically tactics, which in the old curriculum, which only dates back to 2011. I was there when Claudio Reyna unveiled it, and it's going by the wayside, but we weren't supposed to be teaching tactics at 4v4. There are some coaches in U.S. soccer who think that even when you're playing 7v7 at U9, that kids can't pass the ball. So it, I'm not sure what to make of that because I'm, I'm, not an, I'm not and do not pretend to be an expert in, um, in what the best development is. I think kids can learn how to – I think if kids want to pass, you should encourage that. And I tried to do that when I was coaching. I've tried to do that with my own son because that's what he likes to play. You know, he wants to pass the ball. He doesn't want it to be rugby. If you want to play rugby, it's time for rugby. There was also an irony in here that the, the first video clip that was shown, there, there's, there was an actual clip that was essentially telling people how to watch soccer, which was kind of interesting, uh, was of U.S. men versus Trinidad and Tobago. It wasn't that game. It wasn't the one, the biggest humiliation in U.S. soccer history where they lost and failed to qualify for the World Cup. No, it was one that was at home and ended with Christian Pulisic scoring. And the crowd went nuts, and I think they gave the U.S. a 2-0 lead in that game. So it wasn't that game, but it was just sort of uh, it, cringeworthy irony at that point. But then it, it starts to get kind of silly. I mean, for one thing... I. In fact, I had an expletive in here. I said, why do I need a bleepity bleep coaching philosophy when I'm a parent who's supposed to be teaching you sixes how to play? 
you don't want parent coaches who have watched a 20-minute intro on this to develop their own coaching philosophy. You need to tell them what to do and give them some things to think about. And look, there are some things that help. You know, and one of the things that they almost accidentally get into is that they start to show you how to read a training plan. Now, that's not it's explicitly what they're saying, but that's actually a promising change because the way U.S. Soccer's curriculum has been in the past, they teach you how to write a practice plan, and that's all you learn, which is fairly pointless if you're at a club that gives you training plans. Where the technical staff does it. You know, you have a technical director who has way more experience than the parent coach does saying, okay, look, here are some drills you can use. You know, here are some plans you can use. And, you know, yeah, you can adapt them a little bit to your team. But what you really need as a parent coach who's just getting into this is to know how to read a training plan and how to apply a training plan. Then maybe learn how to write one. But, you know, that's if you're a grassroots coach, you generally don't need to write your own training plans, or you shouldn't be. And there are some other helpful things. You know, they they go through guided questions, which is good. An example they give is, don't ask a player, why did you give the ball away? You, know, you ask, how else could you have gotten the ball to a teammate? That's good. And they also come up with an idea for using keywords, basically just getting repetitive words in, in, in play to say... Um, to tell kids what to do. And, you know, it can be creative. I mean, I remember one of my teams, we came up with names for positions. You know, instead of calling something defensive mid and attacking mid, uh, the defensive mid was the monster. The attacking mid was messy. So you had monster and messy. The kids loved it. And they knew where to go, which, which was helpful. But look, the old F license would show you good coaches coaching. Shannon McMillan. Uh, U.S. Women's National Team Veteran Hall of Famer, great coach now, they would show her in action, show her getting down on one knee, getting to eye level, giving brief instructions, and it was telling you why all that was important to get across what you had to say to these kids. It also had concussion awareness, which is totally left out of this. That's staggering to me. I mean, I don't feel like I watched the training video. I feel like I watched an infomercial. And then it tells you the six tasks of a coach. And they are coaching games, coaching training sessions, leading the team, leading the player, managing the performance environment, whatever the hell that's supposed to mean, and then leadership, which seems kind of redundant with, a, with leading the team and leading the player, doesn't it? That told me absolutely nothing. Then look, again, I'm not an expert. I mean, there are people who devote their lives to coaching U8 and, and so forth, and, uh, and they're the experts. They know what they're doing. And a lot of the messages here are good. But I can tell you when something is presented badly, and this is presented badly. I don't need to be the world's best U11 coach. I don't need to have developed tons of players to tell you that you shouldn't have this intro thing without a mention of concussion awareness because that is your job as a parent coach. You that may not be you don't sign up and say, "Yay, I want to go monitor kids for concussions," but you damn well better know how to do it. And this doesn't help at all. Maybe when you get to the actual modules it does, but it's infuriating 
uh, after all the concussion awareness we've been going through in this country and globally with, with concussion awareness, seeing how damaging concussions can be, that we've gone backwards in this intro module. And look, I like some of the tone. In the beginning, they say, welcome, you're part of the team. I think that's fantastic because we're trying to make everyone feel like they, they're part of something. You know, that's what people keep telling me about Germany. They say that when you go at a U8 grassroots program, you feel like you are part of the great German federation uh, building up to the men's team or the women's team. That's a feeling we should try to establish here. And I'm glad it's done here and done kind of in a subtle way. If I hadn't been thinking about that, that probably would have flown right over my head. Um, but I'm glad they did that. At the end, they say they say whether a player ends up here, and they show a, a video of a pro player, female, by the way, or here, they show a referee, or here, and they show someone in the stands. It all starts here, and that's where they show, you know, a young group of kids with a coat, with a smiling coach. And yes, that's the message you want to send. So there are some good messages here. There are parts of it that I just simply cannot believe. All right, two-thirds of the way through the agenda, the, the last part's going to be the quickest um, because it's about uh, discourse and so forth. And it stems a little bit from... A few days ago on Jason Davis's radio show, uh, The United States of Soccer, I'm, I'm simply going to say this. There are a lot of good perspectives out there. Uh, you know, uh, Jason gets harassed all the time. I get harassed all the time. Anyway, the point is, we all have a lot of things to offer. And is Jason a... Fantastic player? No. Do you want me to coach a professional club? No. Am I an expert on U8 child development? No. Have I interviewed a lot of those people? Yes. Do I have? Can I find people who have thought out, well-researched, um, opinions backed up by a lot of their own experience as well as their own research and talk with them and present what they have to say even though it sometimes contradicts what someone else has to say yes yes i can you know i've talked with john o'sullivan who's a who's a great coach and is literally you know, his project is called changing the game he's concerned about dropout rates he's concerned about people not making it fun there's some coaches who think kind of the opposite, who are worried that um, I, I actually had a coach tell me in a Starbucks that, oh, all this positive coaching stuff is ruining the game. Well, that, that floored me. Kind of wish I had a chance to follow up with him about it because I think he's probably wrong on the face of it, but I'm interested in hearing why he says that. And that's how we need to approach these things. That's how we need to approach these discussions. I'm going to say this. Jason listens to other points of view. I want to listen to other points of view. It's difficult. It's difficult because we've put up with 15 years of crap. You know, 15 years of people uh, just randomly insulting us. I've had people, you know, talk bad about the, the kids that I've coached. 
recreational kids, sometimes kids who have developmental issues. How is that a reflection on on me that, you know, I've got a, a kid out there who I'm I'm trying to get to the right side of the field at kickoff. You know, I can't I can't run complicated drills with these kids. That's not what I'm there for. And why bring them into it? Why would you do that? But you know, look, some of these some of the people who argue with me and argue with Jason are people who just I don't know, they they don't seem to have a lot going on in their lives, and so they're spent all day on Twitter uh yelling at us and unfairly, and they are not interested in having discussions about anything. Then you have some people who have interesting perspectives. If you catch them at the right time, you can have an interesting discussion. Uh, you may not agree on everything, but sometimes they're interesting. They're interesting discussions. So, and then so we're starting to see again. We're starting to see mainstream discussion of things like promotion, relegation, and soccer united marketing, which is great because there are reasonable people getting involved now. It's not just the fringe. In fact, I. There's so much baggage in this that I think whenever I mention the fringe, I always get people write back and say, I'm not the fringe. And I write back and say, I know you're not. Because <laughs> you're not. <laughs> really, I, I, I like you. I, you. It may drive me crazy at times. I, I have people I consider friends on Twitter who do drive me crazy at times. They're um, a women's soccer person who just will, will want to correct everything that I do. <laughs> <laughs> but but I like her a lot. I I really do. But every now and then I'm just not in the mood. <laughs> and look, it, it it's I'm glad we have Twitter. I mean, there have been times when I say, "Hey, I I want to bail out of it." But in fact, I gave it up for Lent one year. But I I can't. There's too much valuable stuff there. Um, we need to try to keep it that way. It's so like I know plenty of people who don't engage with people at all. I've known plenty of journalists, um, journalists who are a lot more famous than I am, who don't engage with readers or viewers or listeners in the least. And I I know that they're missing out, but I also understand it because what would you do if you got a hundred emails a day and 50 of them were barely literate, uh, you know, insults and yeah, especially for women, Oh my goodness, have you ever seen the stuff women get on Twitter? It's ridiculous. In fact, Kathy Carter gets some of it. And Kathy Carter, look, I, I think Kathy Carter should be answering more questions. I don't know that, I don't will not insist that she should be doing it on Twitter. I've read Kathy Carter's Twitter mentions. If you were Kathy Carter, would you read those mentions? Hell no. Because most of the people writing to her are sexist, blithering idiots. That doesn't mean there aren't legitimate questions. There are legitimate questions I want to ask Kathy Carter. I cannot wait to see legitimate questions posed to Kathy Carter. I really want to hear the answers. And I still don't think, even if she answers them well, I still don't think she's a, uh, she should be the next president. Um, she may be very good at her job. I, I, I hope that she comes out of this process with a lot to think about and goes back to Soccer United Marketing and starts to think, hey, you know, there are a few changes we can make. I think that would be the ideal outcome. Uh, for all this. This is not, um, so I hope that this is, if not a come to Jesus moment for her, at least sort of a revelation. But I don't expect her to wade through the crap on Twitter. 
All right, we've covered the agenda. And, you know, the other thing, that there was a legitimate complaint. Right? And, you know, Jason Davis threw his show open a little bit today and said, hey, you know, call in and tell me, you know, talk to me. You know, don't don't just go on Twitter and rant about me and, or, you know, yell about my family, and which they've done, which is ridiculous. You know, call in. You know, tell me what, what's wrong with the show. And the people who called in were actually very reasonable. And one of them said, um, you know, you really need more people to bounce things off of. When it's just two hours of you, it's a bit much. And I agree with this. Um, that's not what I plan to do in the future. Um, this is by necessity today. Because, yeah, doing two hours solo is difficult. I mean, look, Jason's good at it. And this is a skill. You know, I've known plenty of journalists from the print. You know, I, I come from a print background. I started at newspapers before the internet existed because I'm that old. Going on TV or going on whatever the medium is and saying something succinct is a skill. It's not easy to do. It's not easy to keep someone's attention when you're speaking like that. It's just a very different skill. And, you know, there's some podcasts I listen to that are better than others. Uh, when I listen to Mark Maron's podcast, the first couple minutes of him soloing are okay. Then after a while, I'm like, Mark, please get to the guest. Mark Maron's, you know, the, the quintessential podcaster. Uh, you know, he's had Barack Obama on his show. You know he must be big. And then I hear tons of podcasts in a variety of subjects, uh, soccer, uh, you know, a couple other sports, a couple of, you know, cultural podcasts where it's, you know, two dudes. Hey, dude, did you see this today? Yes. That was really cool, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and it's just like, why am I listening to these two people chatting? I do think shows are better with guests. So I will be booking more. I hope to have some podcasts come out from Philadelphia that are conversations. In fact, I want to tell you now, I've been recording this on my iPhone because I plan to use that to record while I'm in Philadelphia. And I, I want to see how it sounds and how it comes out. And so uh, thank you for taking part in this experiment and, and bearing with me through this. But I will be getting back to having guests. Um, hopefully a couple of things will come out of Philadelphia, and then there will probably be a bit of a break during the Olympics because I, you know, look, I love the Olympics, and I've gotten a couple of gigs right near Olympics. You may have already seen. I've written something for Bleacher Report already. Uh, we'll be writing for them some, and uh, we'll be writing for another publication I can't name yet. Um, but I'm very happy about that. It just means you'll probably have less ranting soccer day icon content for a bit but then after the olympics we're going to come back strong probably more focused on youth soccer because i'm going to take my own advice that's where the issues are that's where we need to really change things and i've come out of this more invigorated than ever i'm going to get some good guests if you want to be on this show let me know so thank you for listening for what to what I hope is the last solo Ranting Soccer Dad podcast for quite a while. And hope to see some of you in Philadelphia, see some of you on Twitter, some of you around. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>